Thanks, Joan. Welcome. And I'll just share with you a funny story. I've been meeting up with a friend of mine that I used to work in radio a number of years ago. And he asked me, he said, Neil, what are you doing these days? I said, I'm doing four, four roles. I'm preacher, pastor, trainer, lecturer, part-time in each of them, juggling all four, but at the moment it's all going well. And then he said, where are you preaching? So I told him, and I said, I preach at Bridgie every second Wednesday at uh, this service. So we went away, and then two weeks later he came back. He said, Neil, I've been gone to the Bridgie website. I said, oh, okay. He said, your title? I said, yes. Now, he doesn't know that this service is called Inspire, right? He doesn't know that. He said, your title is Inspire Pastor. I said, yes, that's it. And then there was a pause. So Bridgie pays you just to go around and inspire and encourage people. I said, that is it. That is it. So you're all wonderful. You're all simply the best. You're all fantastic. I've done my job. All good. For those of you who are new, we've been looking at the Beatitudes. When we come to the next one this morning, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God, Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. Interesting that Jesus uses the word peacemakers and not peace lovers because there is a difference between a peacemaker and a peace lover. A peace, one is active and one is passive. A peacemaker is someone who goes out of their way to bring about peace. A peace lover is someone who sits back and just appreciates and enjoys peace. And I think that those whom Jesus had in mind are not those who purchase peace at any price, but those who actively engage to reconcile, to enlarge the area of human goodwill. One commentator puts it this way, he says, the peacemakers are not, are not those who merely practice the negative virtue of non-violence, they are the people who actively overcome evil with good, who establish peace where there was discord and trife, who make up quarrels and reconcile those who were at enmity. At enmity. By demonstrating this, those who are peacemakers demonstrate the heart of God. For God is a peacemaker. And therefore, it's only logical, I suppose, that they should also be qualified to be called children of God. In the Old Testament, the term children of God does not refer to physical generation, but to character likeness. So someone in the Old Testament that was called a child of God is someone who displays the character of God. So for us as Christians, we are to display God's character. Isn't it true that it is possible to be at peace with yourself, at peace in your family, at peace with those whom, with whom you associate, at peace with the world, and yet not be a peacemaker? So what's the difference? What's the difference between a peacemaker and a peace lover? Peace lover. I think the first thing is that peace lovers, peace lovers make trouble of the wrong kind. I imagine that some of you are like me. I don't like conflict. I avoid conflict. 
I don't want to get involved in other people's arguments and discussions and I'll just rather just, you know, go away and do something else instead. Maybe you're that kind of person. You avoid conflict. But isn't it true that if you're involved in any leadership role, even a parent, of course, you have to get involved in conflict at some point. When I was principal of the Bible school, there was sometimes conflict, conflict between students, sometimes conflict between students and staff, and staff and students, and sometimes conflict between staff. Uh, two young ladies who were cooking in the kitchen, very confined area, a lot of knives around on all the walls. That was the thing that actually troubled me most. One of them came and knocked on my office door one day and said, Neil, Neil, I need to talk to you. I said, why is that? I am not getting on with, and then the other person's name. I said, why is that? She does, she does, she does, she does. Listen to all of the grievances. I said, we need to pray about this because you too probably live, uh, work in the most confined area perhaps of all the staff. And you're in the kitchen. Meals need to be made with love. So I prayed. Then I went and I asked the other one to come over into my office. And we had a bit of a chat. Why aren't you getting on? She does, she does, she does, she does. We talked about certain things. We prayed. Then I brought them both in. I said, this is the thing. We're working in a Christian community. We have to get along. We must get along. And if you can't get along... You know, the only result, one of you will have to go. I want you to think about this. Fortunately, things worked out. Fortunately, fortunately. We do live in conflict, don't we? We know something has gone bad. In bad, perhaps a disagreement with another person in a family, in a circle of friends, in a club that we're in, in our work situation. Sometimes it even occurs in churches, you know, things go bad. We know something that needs to be done to resolve the conflict. But we also know that getting involved may involve taking a side, taking one person's point of view. It may mean stirring up trouble. But if you're like me, sometimes for the sake of superficial peace, we do nothing about it. Others might say, oh, you're doing the sensible thing. You know, don't get involved. It's all messy. You know, you don't want to get involved in that. No good can come from sticking your nose into other people's business. But if that's the case, we are not peacemakers. And we're not, as this beatitude by Jesus says that we are to be peacemakers, for then we shall be called the children of God. In fact, it is true that we could actually be called troublemakers. Because if the situation is not resolved, what happens is it just seems to get worse and worse and it bubbles up and it flows over to others and sometimes there's serious consequences and sometimes it's difficult, more difficult to remedy the situation. So by doing nothing for the sake of peace, or that's what we think, we actually make the situation worse. James, write in chap James writes in chapter 4, verse 17, anyone who knows the right thing to do it and fails to do it commits sin. Well, that's the peace lover. I now want to talk about the peacemaker. 
the peacemaker. Here we go. Peacemakers invite trouble for themselves. Oh, how good is that? The one whom Jesus says, who God will bless, is the one who actually goes out of their way to make peace. The one who puts themselves in the firing line, in between two opposing forces perhaps, suffers the abuse of both sides, responds in love and brings about reconciliation. And Jesus says that person is a child of God and will be blessed. The peace that this beatitude mentions is not a false peace, which comes about by not getting involved, but the peace that comes about by addressing a situation, seeking not avoidance, not confrontation, not coercion, not even compromise, but cooperation. Easy to say sometimes, not easy to accomplish. It's true, isn't it? Peace is not achieved by going to war. War only yields hatred, more hurt, more suffering. War often produces defeat. It reduces nothing. It, reduce, it does not reduce the bitterness which provoked the conflict to begin with. Some people go into war thinking, right, that there is, the situation will become better, but often it's become worse. It's like saying, you know, that darkness can be overcome by bringing in more darkness. No darkness and can only be overcome by bringing in more light. So how is bitterness and hatred cured? Not by more hatred, not by more bitterness, but by love. Evil is never overcome with more evil. Evil is only ever come overcome with good. Martin Luther. Martin Luther knew this. He stood up between the black and white community in the States and he had an uncomparable goodwill towards both. More than anything else, he wanted peace and he was willing to do anything, suffer anything for that peace to come about. But to do that meant that he had to interfere. And to, by interfering, he brought a load of trouble upon himself and he stirred up the strife. And yet, for the little American history that I do know, I would say that more than any other person, he has brought peace more than the way of black power or white apathy. For Martin Luther King stood as the way Jesus would stand. He loved both sides, black and white, and he determined, he was determined that the only way for the two to be reconciled was through peace. Peace built upon any other foundation is a false peace, and it will eventually degenerate into anarchy. What did he do? He pleaded for righteousness. He protested against unrighteousness. He contended for justice and he exposed injustice. And for that, he was persecuted. I think it's interesting that the next beatitude that Jesus speaks, the one that we'll look at in two weeks' time, is this. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. 
Jesus is saying here, you stand up for what is right and you will suffer. So peacemakers invite trouble for themselves and they make trouble of the right kind. Make trouble of the right kind. The prophets of the Old Testament, I'm amazed sometimes, you know, read these the great men and women of the Old Testament and what they stood up for in proclaiming God's word to the people and the suffering that they took to themselves because they did that. They called on the people to put away all of their ungodliness, not to be lured into the attraction of the Canaanite religion, which promoted gross immorality and idol worship. They called the people to holy living. Put away your selfish ways and come back to God. And for that, the prophets of the Old Testament, they suffered. And Jesus knows this. Jesus knows that to establish peace we sometimes have to stir up trouble. Matthew 10, verse 34. Do not think that I've come to bring peace to the earth, Jesus said. I've not come to bring peace, but a sword. These words sound like the word of a zealot, don't they? And Jesus knew, because he had, one of his disciples was a zealot. And the zealots were like, we have to defeat Rome. Any Roman authority over us, we have to fight against and we have to defeat. And Jesus' way was, no, that's not the way that we defeat Rome. I think it's interesting that out of, the, out of the mouth of the Prince of Peace comes the words, I have not come to bring peace, but a sword, but a sword. My interpretation of that verse is not a sword to attack, but a sword to defend. There's a great difference, of course. Jesus stood up for mercy and righteousness, exposed unrighteousness. And some will not stand for holy and righteous living because, as John says in 3.19, they prefer darkness to light because their deeds are evil. So sometimes in establishing peace, we have to stir up trouble. And Jesus was one who didn't hesitate in doing this. To make peace between Jew and Gentile. Remember, he strode through the temple courts there, upturning the tables, releasing the animals out of the cages that were, uh, the people were charging, being charged exorbitant prices. He exposed the profiteering and prejudice, and he said, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. Jesus filled with, not, it's not a picture of Jesus that we see so often in the Gospels, but so filled with righteous anger because the religious establishment had turned the holy place into a place of racial discrimination. You may not know, you may not know this, but in Jesus' day there were like posters put up around the temple courts saying that if the Gentile approached any further to the presence of God then they would be put to death or was Jesus just having a bad day was his anger unjustified 
or was it out of a heart of love that Jesus saw that he needed to bring Jew and Gentile together for that wall of hostility to be broken down and to create one new humanity? To bring about peace, Jesus made enemies. To bring about reconciliation, he had to go through death and be raised again to unite Jew and Gentile. Ephesians 2 verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he is our peace. In his flesh he has made both groups into one and has broken down the dividing wall, that is the hostility between us. Come to Christ and you are reconciled to God. Nowhere in scriptures does it say that God has to be reconciled to us. We're, we're the ones that cause the enmity. It's us. We're the ones who have to be reconciled to God. And in Christ that can occur. So peacemakers stir up trouble for themselves. But peacemakers also work for peace with God. They work for peace with God. It's only when we are reconciled with God that we can know true peace and be reconciled with others also and that peace flourishes. Peace in the scriptures is not just the absence of hostility. Peace in the scriptures is this, isn't this? Aren't these great words? The enjoyment of goodwill, real fellowship in the body of Christ and real well-being. And that sort of peace is only accomplished with a mediator. A mediator that stands between two warring parties that takes all the abuse as one party abuses the other, that suffers that abuse and responds in love, loving both parties, then being able to reconcile the two together. And that's what Jesus did on the cross. He did it, and he achieved it, because he was sent from God. And without it, we are still at war with God. We are still in enmity with God. In fact, I would say that's why most people in the world today do not want to have anything to do with God. Because they don't want God telling them what to do. I want to do my own thing. I did it my way. Jesus, he stirred up trouble. But he stirred up trouble to make peace, to make peace. Jesus, a friend of the outcast and sinner. When you read that word in the New Testament, sinner, you go, well, all of us are sinners. But it's specifically mentioned in the Gospels, that word sinner, not to include everybody, but to include those who purposely went out of their way to break the Mosaic commandments, and they were recognized for doing so. And so when you see this word, the outcast and the sinner, this is the person that's rebellious towards God, and yet this person is the person that Jesus went up and he befriended, the Son of God. He befriended them. He suffered the, con uh, the contempt and the rejection of the religious leaders in so doing. 
Luke 15, verse 2. This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. How can it be? But on the other side, being a rabbi, being a teacher of the law, you'd also expect that the sinners and outcasts would not want to have anything to do with Jesus. He was one who stood up and proclaimed, you have heard it written, you have seen it written. Why did he do that? Why did Jesus go out of his way to make peace with the sinners and the outcasts as well as the religious elite so that peace might come about? He stood between the two classes, the poor, the outcast, the religious and the respectable, and he said, this is the way of God through repentance and faith. And as the one sent from God, he testified to both. This was the only pathway to peace, the only pathway. Ephesians 2, 15 and 16. He has abolished the law with its commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new humanity in place of the two, thus making peace and might reconcile both groups to God in one body through the cross thus putting to death that hostility through it. So how does Jesus, how does Jesus bring about this peace, this peace of God? Not with violence, not with taking one side of the other, not by non-involvement, not by avoiding trouble, but by entering into the hostility, suffering and loving both and bringing the two together. Suffering is love's only way to victory. When a person has gone their own way, done their own thing, tried to live in this world by letting self be their master, the result will always be disharmony, strife and conflict. Always, always. Self rises up within us and wants to take charge, wants to put power over other people. And when that occurs, peace will never be the result. When we seek to rule over others, what's Jesus called to you and me? Serve others. Serve others. Then peace will come. The war in Ukraine is an example of this, isn't it? One man striving for power to leave a legacy. It doesn't matter who gets killed in the process, that my name, a statue might be built to me after I'm dead. It's terrible. But when, this is the good news, but when we have a change of heart to God, when we find that there is one, there is one, who loves us with an unending love, has suffered that we might be reconciled to God, that we believe in his steadfast love, that we have a change of mind towards God, not as one that should be ignored, not as one who we think is out to condemn us all the time, but we respond to him in love and we come to him in love. That's the word repentance, by the way, a change of mind. We find there that God embraces us. And he not only gives us peace with him, but he gives us his peace. 
to live in us through his Holy Spirit. So we have peace with God and we have the peace of God. And then, when that occurs, we shall be peacemakers. We shall reflect the character of God, Christ in us, and God will look at us and say, you are my child. Let's pray together. Well, not easy, not easy sometimes. Sometimes we just humbly need to go to others and say, I'm sorry, I've done wrong. For the sake of unity, Christian unity, for the sake of peace, I'm offering forgiveness. Sometimes, Lord, we need to be that person who stands in the middle between the two people, Lord, who just can't seem to get along at war with each other. Not taking one side or the other, but absorbing the hurt and responding in love to both. And so your call upon us, Lord, is not to be peace lovers, not to sit back and just appreciate peace, but to be peacemakers. So, Lord, work in and through our lives, we pray. That is your peace is extended with those whom we meet during our week. That your peace might come about more and more in this dysfunctional, fractured, broken world. Jesus, may they see you, we pray. I pray that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being with power through his spirit and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith as you are being rooted and grounded in love. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever.